this week, we are going to start a series through the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible, turn yourself to Luke. And actually go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning. We're going to start there. And um, what you saw in the announcements, and, and we did last week, um, I told you what we want to do as we go through the, the, the book of Luke, this is going to be a little different than we've done it before. And I know that that may have unsettled some of you who like routine and regular things. What we usually do as a church is we go through every single verse in a book, and we study it out, and um, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful way to understand what's in the Word. But sometimes there's also a good place to take an overview of a book. And as I told you, Luke has 24 chapters in it. And at the pace of five or six or eight verses a week, we're looking at about a two-year study to do the book of Luke. All right? And, and actually, just for you guys, I did the math this morning because I was thinking about that. If we were to go through a verse at a time all the way through the entire Bible, there are 31,102 verses in the Bible, all right? In the Bible that we have here, Old and New Testament combined. 31,102 verses. If we did 10 verses a week, it would take us just under 60 years to go all the way through. 59.8 years, all right? So at 10 verses a week for 52 weeks per year, um, it'd take almost 60 years. So where there is a good time and place to do that and to study all of that, and you should read it, all 31,102 verses and study it, Every once in a while, I want us to be able to jump in and out of, of books, and certain books kind of lend themselves more to do a, a, a kind of an overview study of them. Other ones, we go right through and we'll dig in deep, okay? So with this one, um, right where we were at, kind of in our study and in between studies leading up to Easter, because Easter is seven weeks away from now, I thought, you know, I really would love to get back and look at Jesus' life as we work our way up to Easter and, and think about all that's going to happen. So this is a great opportunity to do kind of an overview of this gospel in seven weeks. So um, after that, we'll jump back into to more of a, a, a verse at a time study, um, and, and you'll see us do that. But anyway, um, one of the things that I wanted to try to provide for you and encourage you to do is to still go through and study the, the, the gospel of Luke on your own time, uh, throughout the week. And so what last week what we did is we passed out some of these just blank journals with a little reading plan. Very simple. This week's uh, schedule of reading was Luke chapters 1 through 4. So if you were here last week and you got one of those and you heard that, hopefully this week you got to read the first four chapters of Luke. I was talking with the, um, some of the people from the, the high school group on Thursday night, and a couple of them said, yeah, I tried to do that, and I tried to read the first chapter. It's 80 verses long. I know. It may actually be the longest chapter in the whole Gospel of Luke. But even then, you spend 10 minutes, and you can read 80 verses. All right? Even the slower readers among us and the fast readers, well, it's even less than that for you. So um, my point is, if you spread it out through a week, four chapters is not that much. It's doable. Ten minutes less on Instagram or whatever it is that you, you know, where you've got that free space. So what we're going to do, and, and um, we're, we are out of journals for this week. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> But next week, um, we've got more, so we'll bring some more for you. So if you didn't get a journal last week, we'd be glad to give you one. Um, but this, this week, we read the, the first four, and then um, next week, I think it's just three chapters, five, six, and seven maybe for next week. Um, so, so anyhow, you can keep up. And if you didn't start last week, it's not too late. 
You can do this. Seven chapters, read them for next week. All right? So here we begin um, this, this gospel of Luke. And I want to start us off by reading the first four verses of Luke. Okay, so in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. These verses are kind of the little introduction that Luke, the author of this book, writes to this, this person, Theophilus. Okay, And what he says is, I wanted to try to compile all the things that have been delivered to us, that we have heard, and, and, and get all the stories into one book that I can pass that on to you and to other people. All right? Luke, that we're going to study, is what we call a gospel. If you're not familiar with the Bible and you're not used to that sort of terminology, in the New Testament, in our Bibles, we have four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, this is one of those four gospels. Now, the, the word gospel literally means good news. That's it. That's what the word gospel means, good news. And these books, all these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written to tell the world about the good news of salvation from death by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and although that none of these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, none of them set out to become authors. That wasn't there. They didn't go to school, you know, to get a journalism degree or something. They didn't have publishers. They weren't trying to, you know, break out and, and hit a, a bestseller list and write a book. That wasn't their plan. They knew that it was essential that the things that they had seen and things that they had learned should be written down for other people in the future. Because Luke, even when he's writing his account, and we'll study that and look at it a little bit. It's not that long after the death and resurrection of Jesus. But even at this point, a couple decades after Jesus, he's already realizing and seeing the need, whoa, people don't know all of this story. People don't know about all the incredible things that happened. How can we get that together to be able to pass that on to other people? And so they wrote these books. Now, many of the books of the New Testament were written by eyewitnesses of the life and ministry of Jesus. All right, we just talked about the Gospels, right? Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. He was an eyewitness of all these things. He wrote the first Gospel. Mark. Mark was actually a young man um, and around the disciples. He wasn't one of the twelve, but he was very close to Peter. And a lot of scholars believe that it was kind of Peter's account that was written through Mark um, of this. All right, so they, But Mark was also an eyewitness of Jesus. John. Another of Jesus' disciples wrote the other uh, gospel. John also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation. All right? Peter, we studied that, those books not too long ago. 1st and 2nd Peter, written by Peter, the, the closest disciple to Jesus. Eyewitness, saw all of these things. James, that we just finished, the half-brother of Jesus. He saw Jesus, even as a little kid. 
All right, Jude, which we believe also was another half-brother of Jesus. So all of those authors, uh, there's 11 of those books right there, were all eyewitness accounts. Then in the New Testament, we have 13 books written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul didn't become a believer until after Jesus was gone. But Paul, as you study out through the New Testament, you see that God revealed himself in some radical uh, revelations where, where Paul, Paul has a crazy testimony as you go through that. He's called up into heaven and seen incredible things. He was the one who had the bright light from heaven that blinded him for several days and had many meetings with Jesus as, as he was called to do the ministry that he was called to do. So 11 of those eyewitnesses, 13 by the Apostle Paul. We have one book, Hebrews, that's anonymous. So we don't know who wrote that, whether it was an eyewitness or not, we don't know. And that only leaves two books. In the entire New Testament that weren't eyewitnesses, Luke, and the other book that Luke wrote, Acts. So the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles were written by this author, Luke. And, and although Luke probably never met Jesus himself, he traveled and interviewed many of those who did. And from his experiences and research, comes the gospel. Okay? Now, as I said, Luke was not one of the 12 apostles. And we learn most about Luke because if you notice there in those first four verses that we read, it doesn't say anywhere, I, Luke, write this thing. It doesn't say that. Uh, we don't find that out until later. And most of what we learn about Luke was actually autobiographical information in Acts, which was the other book that he wrote, but also to the references that Paul made. Remember that guy who wrote those other 13 books? He referenced, he talks about Luke as one of his primary traveling companions. So one of the things that we know about Luke is that Luke, if you, if you read through the book of Acts, it's all, it starts off, they did this, they did that, they did this, and then it shifts. And it's, we did this, and we went here, and we were there. Because Luke joined in with Paul and began traveling with him in all those missionary journeys. Okay? Um, the other thing to know about Luke was that Luke was not, uh, he's apparently not a Jew. Okay? And, and that may not mean a whole lot to us. But what that means is, if he was not a Jew, he's the only New Testament author that wasn't. Jesus, if you remember, was a Jew. All 12 of the disciples were Jews, but Luke was a Greek. He was a Gentile. And we also learn that Luke was a trained physician. That means he was a doctor. Obviously, med school back in those days was a little different <laughs> probably than it is now. But he was trained in that day to become a physician, a doctor, a scientist. And his eye for detail and his careful research is really evidenced in this book. Now, why do I go into this? Why do we talk about the author behind this book? Well, with any serious Bible study, we try to verify a few things as you study this out. You try to verify the authenticity of the scripture that we have, but then also to certify its authorship. Now, in history, what we know is that Luke was, was accepted as the author of this gospel and of Acts from a very early time. In fact, one of the, the first compilations of scriptures that was gathered together by the church um, into what was called the Muratorian Canon um, 
which came out, that compilation, um, we, we know that that was around 180 A.D., okay? 180 A.D. And in that, the Muratorian canon described Luke like this. It said, that physician who after the ascension of Christ, when Paul had taken him with him as a companion of his journey, composed in his own name on the basis of report. So even as early as 180, they said, yes, we know this was the Luke, this was the one that, who it was, that physician, and this is what he did. He went around and compiled this report. Now, that would have been around 120 years after Luke, this letter that we're going to study. That was about 120 years after it was written. We believe that the Gospel of Luke was written in around the 60s. Okay? I know this is heavy. This is history. Some of you love this part. And others are like, it's just numbers and dates. I don't care. Stick with me. We're almost past this. All right? So Luke was written in around the 60s. Now, if you remember, Jesus died in, a, in the 30s. Right? 33 years old is when he died. And so that would, it would have been put him in around the 30s. So the early 60s was not that long after Jesus had died when Luke wrote this down. Now, if you say, well, 120 years, we, we don't know about this for 120 years of, of silence here. That might seem like kind of a long time. I mean, for us today, that's like going back to 1902. All right? Now, you might think about 1902 and you say, that's, that's, a, long, that's a long time. It is distant, but it's still reliable. We have information about things that we accept and believe historically that we're like, yeah, that happened in 1902. For instance, Henry Ford. Henry Ford and the Model T. Not only do we believe that Henry Ford was the one to bring the automobile to the masses, we have documentation and eyewitnesses and information that described, yeah, okay, Henry Ford, 1902. We even have photographs. They don't, we don't have photographs from back in Jesus' time. But you see what I'm saying? Yes, it's, a long, it's, it's, it's old. <laughs> it's a long time ago, but still a lot of reliable information um, to bring this together. Okay, so that's who Luke is. That's what he's doing. Now, when they sit down to write a gospel, not only is God uh, inspiring them to do so, it's interesting because each of those four gospels has a little different perspective. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not just the same thing. There's, there's a different lens, a different perspective when you look at each of these gospels. That's why it's fun to read them all and see the different aspects of the story. Matthew, which we studied a couple of years ago, Matthew was written um, for a primarily Jewish audience. So Matthew was a Jew and he was writing to other Jews. And, and the way that that works is it, it's, um, it's, it's the same thing. You talk differently to someone who's from your neighborhood or they grew up with you or from the same family. Why? Because you have a lot of the same shared stories and experiences, same way of doing things and describing things. But if you were to talk to someone else, even if they spoke the same language as you, I've got a friend in Australia. He sees the world differently than I see the world. <laughs> and he talks different. And when we come together and we get to share things, sometimes we talk a little differently to each other than we would if I was in Melbourne with him or he was in San Diego with me. You see, there's, there's some differences there. And it's the same thing that we see in these Gospels. Matthew is writing to Jews, but Luke was written for non-Jews, like us. So many of the Jewish terms were defined by Luke so that his readers would understand. When, when Matthew is writing to other Jews, he doesn't have to explain any of the sacrificial system of the sacrifices that the Jews made in the temple. They all understood all of that. 
He didn't have to describe all the different festivals and the rules of being a Jew. They're all Jews. They already know that. But Luke, when he's writing to a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jews, we're like, what? An altar? Where? A temple? Stories of who? Elijah? I don't know any of this, right? So it's a different lens that he's writing in it. Um, Luke was with Paul as they began sharing the gospel with the Gentile world. And so it's from that perspective that Luke wrote. And that's what he's saying there in the beginning. He says, look, Theophilus, I want to get all of this stuff in an orderly account for you so that you understand what happened with Jesus, who he was, what he did. I want a clear, orderly account for you. Now, when we're going through this gospel, I've picked out a theme from the gospel for us to, to, to view it as. And you don't have to do that, obviously, when you study a book of the Bible, but it sometimes helps. You, when you, you have a oh, good overview to say, whoa, I can see this, through, this thread through the whole, the, the whole bit of Luke. And if, if you got one of those little reading plans and you paid attention to it, you will see that it says to seek and to save. The theme that we're going to pull out of the Gospel of Luke and see here in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus came to seek and to save. And all through this story, we're going to find these, these different episodes in his life, these different moments that happen, these different encounters that he has with these people where he is, he is seeking the lost and he is saving those. All right? The gospel of Luke is a universal gospel, not a universalist gospel, but a universal gospel, meaning Jesus came to rescue all people. And we see that very clearly in Luke without distinction. He wanted to save everyone. He wanted to save not only Jews, but Gentiles. Not only men, but women. Not only the healthy, but the sick. Not only the righteous, but the sinner. And Luke traces Jesus' ministry from the prophecies before he was born through his life, his ministry, his sacrifice, and his resurrection. So, as you're reading through the Gospel of Luke on your own, pay attention to who Jesus is looking for and what his actions are. Who is he seeking and who is he saving? So why did we give you a journal? What we want you to do is as you're reading through and, and it's fine to read your Bible on your phone, your iPad, digital, however. It's also good to have a paper Bible somewhere in your life. I, I do both all the time. Um, but it's good to sit down with a journal, a piece of paper in front of you and a, a pen and your Bible. And as you're reading through, this is what I want you to do. I don't just want you to look at all the words and say, okay, I counted to 80. Whew, that was hard. Let's move on. I want you to actually pay attention to what you're reading. And when you come across something, you're like, huh, I don't understand that. Write that part down. If you have a question from it, write it down. If there's something that is impressed upon you that you're like, whoa, I'd never seen this before. Write it down. When you see these spots in the, in the text where you're like, oh, there's one of the places that Jesus went to save somebody. He wanted to reach out to this person who was forgotten by the rest of the world. Ooh, I want to write that down. He's here to seek and to save. You see what I'm, I'm saying? So you're pulling out information and understanding what's happening as you go through and you study the scripture. All right? It's very different than just going through and looking at the words. We want you to engage with what's happening here. All right? And so as you see those things, take those notes down. Um, for me too, in my journal, a lot of times what happens is I'll be reading and something from the scripture will speak to me and then it just moves into prayer. <laughs> and I'll start praying to God about this. Lord, what does this mean? What were you doing here? How did this work? How does this apply to my life? And I'm writing those things down. You'll be amazed at how it helps you keep your mind focused when you're trying to pray. 
because if you're like me, your brain's going, pew, 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 I need to do this and that, and, right? So write it down. Some other things to look for, an emphasis on prayer. We see a big emphasis on prayer throughout this gospel. We also see a lot of joy in the middle of some hard things and praise, lots of praise. So do it. If you didn't start that, that this way um, last week and you're like, well, what's the journal part for? It could have just given me the bookmark. Okay, this is what we want you to do with it. So it's not too late. Jump in. All right, so here's what you saw in the first, the first four chapters of Luke. In chapter one, what we see as we go on there are two baby stories. And I do want to point out to you, this is the only gospel that gives these details. Luke is the only one who gives all this in-depth description with, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, and also with Mary. And Luke describes these extraordinary details and events surrounding these births and the hope for a Savior that was awakened in their hearts. And I think this is pretty cool. This is purely speculation. Um, this, this may not be the way it really is, but... I believe Luke got an opportunity to interview at least Mary. All right, there's certain things in here, like um, what is known as the Magnificat in, in Luke here, um, in Luke where, where Mary is praising God, and it's this song of Mary. And there's some insight that we get from Luke that nobody else has. And I think that Luke actually went and interviewed her and said, now tell me the whole story. I want to write this down. What was it like when that angel visited you? What were you feeling at that time? What was it like when you talked with Elizabeth? And what was she sharing? How did this go, all right? And so that's what we see in, in chapter one. And then in chapter two, if you read that, you're like, whoa, Christmas. Yes, it's the Christmas story. And in the Christmas story, you'll notice that Luke draws out Jesus's purpose of salvation for all. Here's a couple points. Luke 2, 10 it's, uh, this is what the angels came and said to the shepherds. says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Listen, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then also in chapter 2, we see the prophecy of Simeon. Where Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then we come to chapter 3 where we look at John the Baptist's ministry. And John's whole message, that wild man in the wilderness, his whole message was prepare yourselves because the Savior's on the way. Prepare yourselves. He's coming. He's going to be here. And then we come up to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, it starts off with the temptation of Jesus. Okay? And the, the temptation of Jesus is, we're, we're going to move into chapter 4, is where we're going to do the bulk of our study here today. Um, but in chapter 4, the devil wants to distract Jesus from the purpose that the Father had given him. And I already told you the purpose that Jesus had was he's coming to seek and to save. To seek the lost and to bring salvation to all people. Right? And the devil wants to try to sidetrack him before he ever even gets started. And it's an incredible account of what the devil's trying to do. But obviously he failed to do so. And with that, Jesus' ministry begins. With the temptation overcome, he starts what he came to do. And that is actually where we're going to jump into a study 
for you here today, all right? It won't be long. You can do this. Turn over with me to Luke chapter 4, if you're not there already. And we're going to read the, the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, starting in chapter 4, verse 14. And here's what it says. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout, uh, out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, we start off in this location of Galilee. And I've got a map here for you. And, and actually, um, I'm gonna, I've got a, a little laser pointer. Wait for one moment. I was supposed to have that with me. Got it with me. All right. If you notice here, hope you can all see this. It's kind of far, I know. Galilee is this little region at the top. Okay, for those of you who like maps and understand maps, this is just a, a Google image that I took from Israel. Okay, right over here, this blue part is the Mediterranean Sea. For those of you who maps make no sense, you guys just zone out for a minute. When the map goes away, you come back to us. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Down here is the Dead Sea, and up here is the Sea of Galilee. All right, you need to know this when you want to read the Bible because the Bible happens in Israel. All right, that's where everything is. Now, these are regions like counties to us. Um, this would be like Orange County right here. This is San Diego down here. Here's Orange County. Here's L.A. starting up here. All right, so this would, Galilee is that region where Jesus grew up as a little boy. He was in and around Galilee. Many of the first apostles that were called, Peter and his brother, all of those, they were fishermen on this little sea right here, the Sea of Galilee. They grew up in Galilee. And a lot of the Bible, the New Testament, is centered there in this region. And that's, what this, that's where this starts. He starts his ministry in Galilee, in this region. And he starts by traveling around teaching in the churches. That's what a synagogue is. It's a Jewish church. If you see a synagogue here today, they're called synagogues, right? And so he's going around these churches and he's teaching. Teaching was a critical part of Jesus' ministry. Because here's the thing, there are many things about God's plan that, that, that these people, these Jews, were not clear about even though they devoted their lives to studying the scriptures. And Jesus came and brought all those things together. And here's what happens as he's, he's there in Galilee, he begins to minister. Jump down with me now to verses 16 to 21. And here's what it says. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This was Jesus' hometown. And, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in verse 20 it says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay. Jesus comes into Nazareth. He heads into the, the synagogue. And by the way, this would have been a pretty regular practice. If you were a traveling rabbi, 
you would go from village to village, and if you happened to be in a different village on the Sabbath, you'd come in and you'd share the news from around the area. Uh, they didn't have the news like we do. And so you'd come in and tell about what's happening in the town that you're from or the village that you're from, and then you'd have an opportunity to actually read the scripture for the church and give a teaching on it. So this was a very common practice at this time, and that's what Jesus did as he was going from village to village, town to town. And, and so it, it wasn't though, um, even though that was a common practice, this wasn't just a coincidence. When Jesus comes into this synagogue, he's given a scroll from Isaiah. All right, now Isaiah was an 8th century prophet. That means that he lived in Israel about 700 years before Jesus was alive. Way back, the B.C., all right, or for you guys, the B.C., <laughs> back in, in, in the 8th century. And several of the words from God um, were given to Isaiah to speak to the people of Israel specifically about the Messiah. Even 700 years before Jesus came, God spoke through prophets and told prophets, go and tell the people, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send someone who's going to make things right. All right? So, so Jesus walks in, they hand him this scroll, and, and I actually have a picture of a scroll, I believe, I do not. Never mind. I don't. You can look them up. In fact, the, 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 there's scrolls um, found from 100 and, around 125 BC that are part of what's called the Qumran. Um, the Qumran community was this group of scholars. The Dead Sea Scrolls, maybe you've heard of those. The scroll of Isaiah was one of these scrolls. And when I say a scroll, it's, it's literally pieces of papyrus that they rolled up into these scrolls. That's what Jesus has here. And he unrolls this thing, and he, he begins speaking um, ab about this. But this passage, this, it's from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 that's quoted there. It was one of the crucial messianic passages. Those Jews that were there in the synagogue, they knew this is talking about the Savior that's supposed to come. Do you get that? This would have been a, like a goosebump moment. You come to church. You've been studying these things your whole lives. Your great-great-great-great-grandmother had been passing all this info down to you about someday there will be a Messiah. Someday there will be a Messiah. Someday there that's, you've heard all that. You know all that. You go into church like any other day. Okay, church time. And then some guy gets up and he reads that passage. Oh, yeah, this is about the Messiah. This is Isaiah 61. I know this. And he reads all the way through. And then he says, today, this is being fulfilled. Today, the Messiah is here. That's where jaws would have been dropping, eyes would get big. And like, do we know this guy? Where's this? What, what's he saying right now? This is a big deal, guys. This is a really big deal. The Jews had been waiting for centuries for a Savior to arrive. And he was clearly promised by God throughout their scriptures. And as it's passed down, now Jesus says the prophecies are being fulfilled. Now, take a look here. See what this how this passage describes what the Messiah would do. There's five things there. First off, it says that he would be anointed by the Spirit. If you did your reading you know that, that we saw that. When John the Baptist was doing his ministry, baptizing people in the Jordan River, Jesus came down and John baptized Jesus. And a radical supernatural event happened as he baptized Jesus. When Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, it says the, the clouds parted and the Holy Spirit came down out of the sky and, and rested on Jesus. All right, It was an anointing by the Spirit. 
So, it, and, and Isaiah saw that hundreds of years before. He knew that the Spirit of the Lord would anoint this Messiah, and he did. Then, secondly, it says he would proclaim good news to the poor. It says that he would proclaim liberty to the captives, that he would give sight to the blind, and that he would free the oppressed. Here's what you've, you've got to understand when you think about Jesus and think about what Jesus did. Jesus came with a message and a mission. He came with a message of hope and salvation for all who would believe and a mission to do everything necessary to open up the pathway to salvation. That's what he did. The, 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 this good news of this message, but also this mission. And as you read Luke, you'll see that Jesus did all those things. Everything that the, the prophecies had described that Jesus would do is what he did. Sometimes it was spiritual healing and spiritual deliverance. Other times it was physical healing and physical deliverance. But Jesus accomplished all of those things. And the ministry that Jesus began at this point in time, it didn't finish when he died on the cross. It didn't even finish when he ascended into heaven. His message was delivered and his mission was accomplished. If you know the, the story of Jesus on the cross, he says it is finished. To Tetelestai. What's he talking about being finished there? His ministry? No, not his ministry, but his message and his mission. His message was delivered. His mission was accomplished. But the ministry, the ministry would continue because Jesus is still at work. In many ways, the people of the world have not changed in the 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth. In a lot of ways. We feel pretty modern and pretty proud of ourselves We've a lot of, you know, great things that we've done as humanity. But in a lot of ways, we, we are kind of stuck. We have had advances in communication and medicine and life expectancy and overall quality of life. But we've also found new ways to exploit each other, new ways to steal from each other and hurt each other, new ways to take advantage of one another and cause complex global problems, <laughs> Right? We are still in need of a savior. Jesus came saying, hey, you guys need this message. You need this mission. You need a savior. Guess what? 2,000 years later, we still need a savior. And as we're slowly coming out of a pandemic, we still have economic stresses. We've got war breaking out in the world. Our society is plagued with a mental health crisis. We've got dire environmental concerns and divisions in every layer of culture. We're still a mess. <laughs> But the ministry of Jesus continues. And we can gather together with joy in our hearts and actually get out of bed each morning with hope because we know that the Savior of the world has come into this world. And he is in the process of redeeming and restoring. We have joy in our hearts today because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The good news is still good news. Real world issues are real and Christians should do everything they can to alleviate pain and injustice in this world. But while we're doing that, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that's where we enter into this story. Because this is what I want you to see today. This is the point of all that. I know I've filled your head with a lot of information. Now I want to work on your heart for a moment. The thing that I want you to recognize and understand in this 
is that this is where we all enter into the story of Jesus. The ministry began here 2,000 years ago in Nazareth. But we enter into the story here because his ministry continues through us. It continues through us. And for many of us, I think our ministries are just about to begin. Maybe they haven't even began yet. Jesus came and brought light to a dark place. And when we give our hearts to God, he illuminates us. He shines his light into us and makes us children of light. That's how we're described in the Bible. We become people of light. His light is poured into us, not just reflecting off of us, but into us and, and pours out of us. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, it says this. It says, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We live in darkness without Jesus. But when we come to him, he pours his spirit into us. He pours his light into us and he transfers us to a whole new kingdom. Jesus didn't come as a dictator to establish his kingdom, but as a redeemer. He came to restore fallen humanity. He didn't establish the kingdom immediately though. Instead, what he did was invited us, others, to come and follow him and begin transforming the world one life at a time. The world is still in need of the good news, but his ministry continues through us. Here's what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5. And he's speaking this to his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. And that goes for any of you who are followers of Jesus here today. He's speaking to you. He says, you are are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What did Jesus do as he began his ministry? He came and lit the lamp. And by the power of his spirit and through his body, the church, he continues to redeem and restore. And we're challenged to shine our light for others. Now here's how we finish here today. Because when you hear that message, and for those of you who have been in church much, you've heard that message lots of times. You've heard, oh, I'm supposed to be the light of the world. Oh, Jesus works through me. I'm supposed to go and share my faith. I'm supposed to share the gospel with others. I'm supposed to do this. But this is where we push back. Because we're like, okay, that's cool. That's what Jesus did. He came and did all those things. But I'm not Jesus. I'm a broken person. And, and not only that, the world, when I look around at the world, it's like beyond repair. Things are hopeless. Shouldn't we all just go run away and hide somewhere? Buy a, a, a chunk of woods somewhere and just hide out? Isn't that just better? And Just wait for him to return or to die, whichever comes first? The world's re rejected the message of salvation. Lots of people have heard the gospel. Why should I keep sharing it? If they want to know about salvation, can't they just Google salvation? <laughs> It'll give them information. They don't need me. We no, we're not Jesus, and we are broken people. I mean, as you study through the temptation of Jesus, it took Jesus 40 days to overcome temptation. It's taken me 40 years, and I'm still not there. <laughs> right? But when we offer Jesus our broken lives... He has a way of using us for his glorious purposes. No, you're not perfect. No, you haven't figured it all out. But he has. And he can work through you. 
And that's the question you've got to ask yourself today as you see this. What if you could join Jesus in those things mentioned in Isaiah? What if you could be anointed by the Spirit of God to bring good news and deliverance and healing and freedom to others? Would you do it? And I don't even need you to have this grand vision of going and saving the world. How about just your family or your neighbors or your coworkers or your best friend? What, what about them? Well, what the gospel teaches us, because I told you it's good news, is the gospel says you can. You can become those people. You can do the things. You can pick up where Jesus left off. You can work with him in bringing the gospel to the world. We're called to follow Jesus every day. We are to go where he leads us and obey what he tells us. And when we do that, we'll see our lives transformed and experience a new way of living. And then we will watch his ministry continue through our lives and through his church to the world around. My prayer for us is that as we see Jesus' ministry begin, that we would also see the ministry that he's given us and that we'd be faithful to follow after him. Amen? Let's pray together here this morning. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for preserving it for us. And God, I just ask that as we consider Jesus over these next seven weeks, Lord, make us have such a clear view of who he is. Lord, may we understand Jesus in ways that we've not understood him before. May we see Jesus as we study your word, as he's revealed in your word to us. And Lord, may we be the people that you're calling us to be. May we be the people that pick up the ministry that you have before us. Every person who is a believer, you've called into ministry. It's not just for pastors, not just for elders or leaders or people with a job in a church. It's for every believer to go and simply share the good news that you came to save. God, we thank you for your love for us here today. And I pray, God, that you would empower us to share the good news of the gospel, that others' lives would be changed as our lives are changed. And Lord, I ask that. I pray today that for those who may have come in here a little discouraged today, maybe a little anxious, maybe a little worried, maybe a little fearful, Lord, today I pray that you would transform their lives by your Spirit in the way that you touch them. Lord, may you comfort them. May you strengthen them. May you encourage them. May you remind them that you are on the throne. You are in control. You do see them. You do care for them and you love them. And Lord, may we walk in the power and the might of your Holy Spirit as we live every day. We want to be the people you're calling us to be and I pray that you'd enable us to do that. So encourage my brothers and sisters here today. Build them up in you. I pray that today if there's anything that is between them and you, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, if there's bitterness or resentment, if there's hurt, there's sorrow, any of those things, Lord, I pray that they'd be able to here in this house of worship, lay those things at your feet, that you take those things away, that you'd restore relationship with them, and that each one of us would experience your presence and your fullness and your completeness. You are good, you are great, you are holy, you're exalted, you're glorious. And we love you here today. It's in Jesus' name, amen.